waking up in my college dorm. Yeah, my life, it was pretty normal. Looking for a date to the spring form. I wasn't worried about nothing else, no. Majoring in undecided notebook full of bad songs I was writing. Never dreamed anybody else would like them. Now they're sitting on a Walmart shelf. Ain't it funny how And she is the cutest little girl that you ever seen. Well, I was wrapping my head around being a dad. A bigger wrench got thrown in the plans we thought we had. Now Lauren's showing, got one on the way. Yeah, that's two under two. Hey, what can I say?
Live Church Buffalo, do me a favor, get on your feet this morning. Come on, put those hands together. We're going to worship Jesus in this place. Come on. Run and hide, you bring the broken back to life. Only you can, only you can. You set me free from every chain. You fill my heart with songs of praise. Only you can, only you can. Jesus, you're the only reason that I'm even breathing. I am wide awake.
morning as an act of our will, we choose to worship you in the middle of whatever storm we may find ourselves in. And we speak Jesus over our lives today. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break. At your name, still, call the sea to still. The rage in me to still every way. At your name, come on, sing it. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, call these bones to live. All these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus.
Jesus. That's our God. Jesus, the one and only, the conqueror of death, hell, and the grave, our King. Oh, we love you, Jesus, and we lift you high in this place because you are the only one who is worthy of our praise. God, this is all for you. It's all about you. God, I pray that today we would honor you, that we would honor you with our thoughts, with our words, with our actions, God, and that we would be light in the darkness everywhere we go because we carry Jesus that the name Jesus would be on our lips and darkness would tremble because of the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the authority and the power that he died to give us. And we honor you today. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Life Church! <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, all of our friends joining us online and in the church lobby this morning. And welcome, everybody here. Church, take a look around at all the people in person in God's house this morning. Wow. It's exactly how it should be. Well, welcome. If we have not met yet, my name is Rich, and I have the privilege of serving on staff as the guest services and life groups director. I serve alongside Pastor Pete and a collection of the greatest colleagues one could ever ask for. And I'm thrilled to be here with you all this morning. And uh, if we have not met yet, and you are newer here, I hope that changes. And if you are newer here, we wanna connect with you, get to know you a little bit, hear your story. And we wanna give you a gift on, for, for joining us this morning. So what you can do, grab the black card in the seat pocket in front of you, take a moment this morning, fill out that card, and after service, bring that card to the church lobby and you'll see a big green wall and uh, hand that card to one of our dream team members positioned there. We wanna give you a gift, like I said, for joining us this morning and give a gift on your behalf through a local food bank that we partner with, who for every attendee to a church experience, either online or in person, we give the gift of a warm meal to a local family in need. So as long as you let us know that you are here this morning, uh, you'll enable us to celebrate you and uh, bless a local family in need. And it is a celebration, like a growing family, in this case, a growing church family is, is cause to celebrate. In church, we just, we have so much to celebrate right now. We have multiple platforms where we can bring church to people in their home, on their phone, sitting at the airport, wherever they happen to be, they can tune in and dial into a church service through multiple platforms. We have a growing church family that grows more and more every week. We are gathered together in a new auditorium, worshiping together, and it's all in part because of your continued generosity and giving to this ministry. And for all those that have continued to give, we just, we wanna say thank you. And if you are not giving and you would like to, there are multiple ways you can. Our most common way is through our new app, appropriately called Life Church Buffalo. You'll find it available on your uh, Apple and Android stores. And also, you can uh, head to our website, lifechurchbuffalo.com, which I might add is also new and revamped, has a completely new look to it. At a minimum, just go there and spend some time on there. But you can also give uh, to this ministry as well via the website. And if you're joining us in the auditorium this morning, you'll see some envelopes in the seat pocket in front of you. Just grab one of those envelopes and uh, after service, you'll see some black boxes secured to the walls by the exit of the auditorium. And out in the church foyer, you could go ahead and drop that envelope in. So 
Church, in, in the past, we've had these really cool and fun events where people can come and join the life group. They call the Connect event. And more, most often, we've had them during the week, on a, on a weeknight, which meant you know, put you in a position where you just try to have to schedule it and fit it in and get babysitters or what have you. Um, but right now, with our new configuration in, on campus, we can have this Connect event on a Sunday morning, right after church service. So all you have to do to attend a Connect event is attend the service of your choice, whether the 9 or 11 o'clock. And once that service ends, head out through the auditorium, through the lobby, and you're already in the event. And church, if you are not in a life group yet, you're not experiencing community with, with, with others. Your life was never intended to handle the broad challenges, handle even the greatest times, the greatest successes by yourself. Your life is meant to be shared. Your, your life is meant to be shared in a time with others who hold you accountable. Your life is meant to be vulnerable and, and open to others. And people want to spend time with you. They want to share this incredible gift of life with you. And how you do that is through a Connect event. Whether you are young, old, married, single, man, woman, whatever category defines you, defines the position in your life right now, God is still ready to write a new chapter in your life, church. And we believe that in community with others in a life group is, when, is where this new chapter is going to be revealed. Church, we believe that you will grow spiritually when you are connected relationally with others. And so what you do is you come next week to the service of your choice, head out into the Connect event. You're going to see uh, tables positioned all throughout the church lobby. And at each of these tables, it's a group leader. So you can go and speak to these group leaders, find out the when, the what, the how, the where of a life group, and go and join it right there on the spot. And you're connected. And you're starting the next chapter of your life by doing so. So, church, when, when Jesus said, follow me, what exactly did that mean? What was, what was the charge in our life for that? And, and by knowing what follow me meant, are we really doing it? Are we truly following Jesus in the way that he intends us? And these are just some of the questions that, have, that are being explored in this new series that Pastor Pete kicked off last week and continues on this week. So church, sit back, open your hearts, and challenge your minds as we bring you week two of Follow Me. Good morning, church family. How are we doing today? You guys awake? Awesome. It's so good to be with you guys. To my family who is tuning in online right now, I hope you're doing well. Uh, can't wait to see you back here in person, but we are praying for you literally every single day. So excited to be with you today as we are continuing our series that we began last week based on a book by the same title written by David Platt called Follow Me, where we are kind of exploring what Jesus actually meant when he invited his disciples to follow me. 
Because so many Christians today are under assumptions that to be a Christian simply means we adhere to a certain list of beliefs, a certain set of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, or you know, we say certain words and that's what makes us a Christian. But the call to follow Jesus is not an invitation to pray a prayer, it's an invitation to a relationship with Jesus. It's an invitation to lose your life, but in losing your life, you find your life. It's an invitation to die that you might live. It's a relationship marked by self-denial, by discovering the purpose for which we were put on this planet, to know God and to make him known. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. And last week we kicked things off by talking about the WIFM principle. W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me, which is a principle that affects so many different areas of our lives, including why we come to church. And we have talked about how so many people have made church about our preferences, tailor the service to my wants, my wishes, my needs. But we learned last week that God's purposes are greater than our preferences. So that was last week. And this week, I'd love if you have your Bibles for you to turn to John chapter six, and while you're turning there, I just wanna set the message up for you. I'm gonna preach a message today called, How Far Will You Follow? How Far Will You Follow? A number of years ago, there was a group of uh, vegetarians that uh, came out and called themselves the new vegetarians. They claimed to be vegans most of the time. In other words, they would when they really, really wanted to, they would kind of cheat and eat meat. And so they called themselves the new vegetarians, to which the old vegetarians, the real vegetarians were like, that's not even a real thing. Like you can't call yourself a vegetarian if you're gonna eat meat. Like you've gotta change your name. And so these new vegetarians decided to call themselves instead flexitarians. I don't know if you've ever heard the term, but flexitarians, people who are mostly vegetarian most of the time, but on rare occasions or when they really, really want to, they'll eat meat, or when it's the only thing that's offered. Now, the reason I say that to you this morning is because I think in the church today, there are a lot of flexitarian Christians who decide what verses they will follow and accept as absolute truth for their lives. Decide what days of the week they'll be a follower of Jesus. I'll be, you know, I'll do God on Sunday. I'll be a Christian on Sunday. But Monday, Tuesday, the rest of the week, that's my life. It's my time. It's my money. It's my relationships. Nobody can tell me what to do. They get to pick and choose what parts of Christianity they want to follow and which parts, you know what, that doesn't fit with my lifestyle. Flexitarians. Well, Jesus encountered some flexitarians in John chapter 6. There were a group of people that had kind of been following Jesus around and uh, they listened to him preach this great message and then he did this miracle after he'd been preaching all day where he took a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish and multiplied it to feed thousands of people, 5,000 men plus women and children. And after the meal, he kind of dismissed the crowds and Jesus decided to head on over to the other side of the lake while the people that were there that witnessed this were like, man, we got to follow him around. Like, this is our meal ticket. He's giving out free meals. And so they follow him around. When they catch up with Jesus on the other side of the lake, Jesus decides to kind of explain to them that what they're really looking for in 
wanting another miracle, wanting another meal, is he used the analogy of bread to kind of tie this understanding that they want something that's going to really satisfy their souls. And he starts talking to them about how he is the bread of life. And in John chapter 6, verse 51, Jesus says this. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, he said, which I will give for the life of the world. To which the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, you got to be honest. Like, that sounds a little bit weird. And the people there thought it was a little bit weird because they responded in verse 60 by saying, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? They were like, whoa, 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 hold on a second, Jesus. Like, we liked you when you were feeding us and giving us free meals. But now you're talking some weird stuff. I'm not sure we can accept this. The moment he started saying some things that were hard for them to understand, that weren't exactly tickling their ears, they started grumbling. Verse 61, and aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, oh, I'm sorry, does this offend you? I love Jesus. Like, he had no problem looking at a huge crowd and just kind of drawing a line in the sand saying, is this too hard for you? Is this offensive to you? Is my message offensive? Is this stepping on your toes? Is this, is this too uncomfortable for you? Verse 66, and from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. How far will you follow? It says many stopped following him. It wasn't just a few. It wasn't just a disgruntled couple of people that says, we're leaving your church, Jesus. We don't like what you're doing. No, many left. And we don't know where they went, but it says we do know that Jesus didn't chase them down. He didn't call them up saying, wait, don't leave my church. He was like, you want to go? Go. I'm not going to water down the gospel just to make you like me. I'm, just, I'm not going to stop from saying the truth just to keep you in my camp. See, truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Truth sounds like hate in America in 2021 to people who hate the truth. And absolute truth is absolutely under attack in our culture and in our society today. Who are you to tell me that what I'm doing is a sin? There are a lot of hard teachings and hard sayings in the scripture that many people cannot accept, and that's why they choose not to follow. How far will you follow? I love what Jesus then says in verse 67. He turns to his 12, his posse, his, his disciples, his apostles, and he says to them, how about you guys? Are you also going to leave? Is this too uncomfortable for you? Are you going to leave too? Are you just in it for the free meals? 
to witness the miracles or will you continue to follow me even when you don't understand what I say or what I do when, when it gets uncomfortable? Are you going to leave too? It's like I'm not building a fan base. I'm building a gathering of people who are willing to follow me even when it costs them something. And listen, this flies in the face of the American dream, doesn't it? And the American dream is like, I'm going to build what I'm going to build. And I'm going to do it by myself. I don't need anybody else. I'm going I'm to get rich and make a lot of money. And I'm going to retire with all my toys and all my stuff. That's the American dream. But Jesus would say, if you want to follow me, you might have to give up the American dream. I believe that Jesus would say, you know what? Is that really the life that I've called you to? So I didn't come to make everybody Americans. I didn't die on a cross just so that you could all worship the American flag. Now listen, it's one thing to respect the flag, but it's another thing entirely when we worship country more than we worship Christ. And there's a lot of that happening in America today, in the American church. David Platt says in his book, we desperately need to explore how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much of it is biblical. See, Jesus was talking to some Jews who were really upset with Rome. They were waiting for the Messiah to come to overthrow Rome so that he would set up an earthly kingdom. They were all about Israel. Israel's gonna take this land back by force and that's what they were waiting for with the Messiah. And Jesus says, I didn't come to build another earthly kingdom. I didn't come to build another Roman empire. I came to build my church. I came to help you become citizens of the kingdom of God. How far will you follow? Will you continue to follow Jesus even when it challenges your sense of American independence and individualism? See, consumer Christianity is killing the church in America today. We talked about it last week. We make it all about our preferences. Man, they better tailor their services to what I want. And if, they don't, if I don't like it, I'm gonna go to another church where I do. It's killing the church. It's all about me, me, me. I, 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 my, my, my. How are they gonna meet my needs? Jesus wasn't trying to make consumers. He asked for followers. The only thing we're called to consume is more of God's word. So if my preferences are taking a higher priority than God's purposes, then something is off. If the only time that I get something out of church is when it's tailored to my preferences, something is off. Jesus said, if you wanna be my disciples, we said last week, we gotta what? Deny ourselves. We gotta say no to the things we want if we're gonna follow what Jesus wants for our life. We gotta take up our cross, an instrument of death daily Die to our wants, our wishes, our fleshly desires when they contradict with what God has said in his word about what he wants for our lives. And follow him. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Does following Jesus cost you anything? Does it cost you anything? Does the Jesus you're following right now require any sacrifice of comfort or convenience or preference or style or desire, sinful temptation? Or do we just indulge in whatever we want to and then come to church on Sunday and call ourselves Christians? 
Is there any distinction between you and someone who doesn't claim to be a Christian other than your attendance at church on Sunday? Is there any distinction? See, following Jesus can't just be a Sunday thing. It's not a check the box, oh, I went to church, I'm good now for the week. It's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing as well. He wants to be the Lord in every area of your life. And listen, he's okay with you having a life. He's okay with you building a career and, and making money. But if he is at the bottom of your list of priorities, if the only time you acknowledge him is on Sundays, then you're not really following him. Some of you are like, man, pastor, I brought a first-time guest with me today. This is a really hard message. I wish you would have preached one of your inspirational, like, feel-good messages. <laughs> How far will you follow? In the late 1940s, the U.S. government commissioned a man named William Francis Gibbs to design and construct an $80 million supership to be part Cold War weapon and part luxury ocean liner. The top secret Pentagon project produced the fastest, safest, and most advanced vessel ever constructed called the SS United States. We got a picture of it for you here, 100 feet longer than the Titanic. The ship was designed to be able to transport 15,000 troops up to 10,000 miles before having to refuel and doing it faster than any ship had ever done before or since. It was an engineering marvel designed to be the fastest ship on the water in the world and it was by a long shot. Now here's the problem. The SS United States that was built for war wasn't being used for war. And because it wasn't being used for war, it became a luxury cruise line ship for presidents and heads of state and celebrities that were friends of presidents. And instead of 15,000 troops, it could hold 2,000 patrons in 695 staterooms with 19 elevators and five different swimming pools and three different bars and two movie theaters. It was an amazing ship, but it became something that it was never meant to be, and it lasted 17 years and what was meant to go into battle and into war became something that was used for entertainment. And I wonder if that's not what has happened to the church in America today. Instead of the church being a place where, where believers are equipped and empowered to live on mission and, and learn how to do battle with the enemy, it has become a place where we just want to be entertained. Entertain me! Don't preach something that's gonna suggest I have to change my life or repent. That makes me uncomfortable. Just good thoughts, positive vibes only, please. Don't suggest that I have to change my life because I'm a flexitarian. I get to pick and choose what kind of Christianity I want to live in from day to day. And it's killing the church in America and it's not what Christ died for. I know it's a hard message, but I love you guys. And because I love you, I want to share the truth with you because the truth will set you free. I know that truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth, but the truth has the power to set you free. And I want us as a church to walk in the freedom that Christ died to give us.
In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said that at the end of their lives, there would be people who would step into eternity and say, Lord, Lord, we went to church on Sundays. We worshiped your name. Oh, what a beautiful name it is. We did so many things in your name. And one of the most terrifying scriptures in the Bible is when Jesus says in response to that, he will look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. We can know all about Jesus, but still not know him. So many people are mistaking information with intimacy. You can listen to all the sermons in the world, but information about Jesus is not a substitute for a relationship with him. We've got to start following Jesus from a place of authentic relationship. So today, what I wanna do is to suggest that when you read the gospels, there were four different groups or types of people that kind of followed Jesus around. And as I kind of go through each of the four different groups, maybe you would see yourself in one of them. And the first group that we're gonna talk about today is what I'm gonna call the familiars. The familiars. And we'll call them familiars because in Mark chapter six, we see Jesus showing up to his hometown to preach. He had been traveling from town to town, city to city, preaching, doing miracles, casting out demons, doing all of these incredible things. And he wants to go to his hometown to preach to the people that knew him when he was in diapers. And they're like, oh, Jesus, like, welcome back home. It's been so long since we've seen you. You were such a cute little boy, Jesus. Like you're Joseph and Mary's boy, right? We know your brothers and your sisters. We watched you grow up. We're so familiar with you, Jesus, that we can't expect anything supernatural from you. We're familiar with law and, and temple, but we're just not expecting anything supernatural from you. We're, we're content to just remember you as the little boy. And because they were so familiar, it actually says that Jesus could not do many miracles there. It doesn't say he wouldn't do many miracles. It says he could not do many. That's crazy to me that Jesus, the son of God, who created the heavens and the earth, omnipotent, all-powerful, could not do many miracles there because they were too familiar with him. And Jesus said, a prophet is often without honor amongst his own relatives and in his own hometown because they're too familiar. See, familiarity stifles faith. Familiarity stifles faith. It happened to Jesus and Nazareth. What makes us think that it can't happen to us in Buffalo in 2021? It stifles faith. I wonder how many more miracles we would see in America today if we weren't so familiar with Jesus. We have to check ourselves and say, is there a spirit of familiarity that I'm carrying with me into church? Is there a spirit of familiarity that I'm carrying with me into my relationship with God? Do you come into church being like, been there, done that, I've heard this message, I've heard this passage preached on so many times, like there's nothing you're gonna tell me, pastor, that I haven't heard before, that I haven't experienced before. I mean, I like the other pastor a little bit better anyway, the founding pastor, and, and, and we're familiar with you, you know, pastor, but like, been there, done that. I realize that in my life that my level of expectancy determines what I get out of something. 
And the way we combat the spirit of familiarity is with expectancy. Jesus was able to do miracles everywhere else he went because the people there were hungry, they were desperate, they were expecting him to do something. But he couldn't do something in his hometown because they were too familiar. There was a missionary evangelist um, named Reinhard Bonnke. I don't know how many of you remember Reinhard Bonnke. He just passed away not even a couple years ago. Who's most known for his crusades in Africa. He was a German and uh, became a Christian, called to the ministry, and some of the greatest miracles in our lifetime, literally hundreds of thousands of people would walk for miles and miles to attend one of Reinhard Bonnke's open-air crusades. It's estimated that somewhere around 79 million people converted to Christianity because of Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. 79 million a general in the army of God. But somebody once asked Reinhard Bonnke and said, why do you think that we don't see in America the kind of miracles that you witness in Africa? And he said, oh, that's easy. It's because people in America are too familiar with Jesus. They're too familiar. There's no desperation. There's no, there's no hunger. See, information has choked out desperation. We are more inundated with information than we have ever been. And despite having all of the information in the world about Jesus at our fingertips, literally, we could look up any scripture, listen to any message, there's no transformation happening in our lives and in our churches. We've mistaken information with intimacy, information with relationship. And so how do we fight it? We gotta stir up that expectancy not just at Easter time, not just at Christmas time, not just when you're, fav- when you're listening to your favorite preacher on YouTube, not just when you feel good, but every day on a regular basis, picking up your cross and following him with a passionate pursuit. So every week when you come in here, no matter who's on stage, no matter what's going on in your life, you're gonna come with a sense of expectancy because I can get something out of God's word every time it's opened, no matter who's preaching. So here's what expectancy does. It causes you to lean in, to lean in. I wanna ask you guys to do me a favor. I want you to scoot to the edge of your seat. Go ahead, come on, humor me. Scoot to the edge of your seat and lean in, all right? Not everyone is participating, come on. Just give me 10 seconds of lean in time. Jesus is coming back for a church that's leaning in. Jesus gave the church a warning in Revelation chapter three when he says, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you're lukewarm, because you're so familiar with God and with church, I can't stand the taste of you. That's such a hard thing to hear, but it's true. Church, it's time we get hot. It's time we lean in. It's time we stir up expectancy. All right, you can lean back. But did you notice what happened when you leaned in? The atmosphere changed. Did you feel it in the room? And it wasn't because of anything I said. It was because of your attitude. It was because of your heart's posture. When you're leaning in, you're expecting something from God. It's time we lean in.
second group of people that followed Jesus around were the frauds. Now, they didn't know they were frauds. They thought they were the real deal. But in the 2004 Olympics, there was a guy named uh, Matt Emmons who was the world's greatest rifle shooter, dominated the sport for a long time. And in the 2004 Olympics, he was so far ahead in the race for the gold medal that all he had to do in the final round or whatever it was, was to hit the target. He didn't even have to hit the bullseye, just hit the target and he would have won gold. He was so far ahead. And so he takes up his position, takes aim, shoots, and gets a bullseye. The problem was that it was the wrong target. He had accidentally shifted over one lane and hit the bullseye of the target in the next lane and it disqualified him from meddling. See, the frauds in Jesus' day were the religious leaders who were hitting the wrong target. They were so consumed with the rules and the regulations that they were like, man, we, we, we've got everything right. We've got the right dress code. We've got the, we've got the tassels. We've got you know, the robes. We're, we're not watching any rated R movies. We're, we're doing everything right. We're not listening to secular music. And they were so legalistic and so strict. And Jesus was saying, you're hitting the wrong bullseye. You've chosen law over love. You've chosen rules over relationship. And look at what Jesus said to the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So go ahead and practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They're frauds, in other words. They crushed people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. They were all about the rules and seemed to enjoy watching people struggle and stagger under the weight of these impossible to adhere to rules. Verse five, he says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. They wear robes with extra long tassels. Listen, be careful if you get your sense of righteousness from looking at other people's wickedness. Do you think you're better than someone else just because you're not as bad as they are? I'm so glad I don't struggle with the same thing he does or she does. Do you find pleasure in watching other people struggle? Or does watching other people struggle make you feel better about yourself? Are we, like the religious leaders, the first one to pick up a stone when we see someone else fall and judge them? Does judging other people about their sin make you feel better about yours? Who are you following? Because that's not the Jesus I read in Scripture. God, except by the grace of God, there go I, Lord, I'm not better than anyone, so I'm not going to look down on anyone. See, there were two different types of religious leaders in Jesus' day. There were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees. And we talked about the Sadducees last week, how they, were, they didn't believe in the resurrection or eternal life. And the only way to become a Sadducee was by being born into it. If your father was a Pharisee, you could become a Pharisee. So it was like this inherited system of beliefs that was passed down from parent to child. It's the only way you could become a Sadducee. 
See, in the world today, there were somewhere around 2.4 billion people who professed to be followers of Jesus. But I wonder how many of those 2.4 billion people are just doing it because it was passed down to them because it's just what the family does and it's not because they had a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. See, until we have a personal revelation of Jesus, it's always gonna be about following the rules. It's always gonna be about behavior modification. It won't be from this place of pure organic love that, man, Jesus loved me so much, he died for me. If I've got a ride on the coattails of my parents, then I don't have a faith of my own. And as I've said before, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. There was a book written by Andre Agassi a couple decades ago. If you don't know who Andre Agassi is, if if you're younger in the room, he was a tennis star. And uh, he wrote a book called Open. And under the title of the book, like the subtitle was My Secret Life. And People Magazine did an interview of him because the book was so shocking and so intriguing. And uh, in, in the interview and in the book, Andre Agassi says, I hate tennis. He says, in fact, I've always hated tennis. I never wanted this for my life. From before I was born, my father wanted me to be the number one tennis player in the world. This is a guy who won eight grand slams, tons of tennis competitions, famous around the world for his academic or his athletic achievements rather. And he says, I hate tennis. He said, I remember one time where I was seven years old practicing with my father on the tennis court and I just wanted a break. He says, dad, pops, can I have, can I have a, a break? No answer from his dad. So Andre at seven years old took the ball and just hit the ball out of the court just so he could have a four minute break and his father is cussing and screaming, storms off the court, just because Andre wanted a four minute break. He says, I never wanted this for my life. I never chose this. He said, my parents chose it for me, but I got really good at wearing a mask. And speaking of masks, Jesus eight different times in scriptures called the religious leaders hypocrites. Hypocrites, and that has such a negative connotation. It sounds so harsh in our culture today, but in Jesus' time, it wasn't that harsh. The word hypocrite actually came from, at the time, the Greek theater practice of a person coming out onto stage, putting on one mask to play one character in one scene, and then in the next scene, coming out and putting on a different mask to play a different character. That's what hypocrite was. It was a theater term. In other words, he was telling the religious leaders, like, you're play acting. You're pretending, you're wearing a mask. This, you're not, it's just a show for other people to see. Hypocrite. In other words, frauds. You know, growing up in a Christian household where my father became a pastor and I got really good at wearing a mask as well. You know, I had had authentic encounters with the Holy Spirit. I made a genuine decision to follow Jesus as a young boy, but in my teen years, I rebelled and wanted to fit in with, you know, the cool crowd at school. So there were times where I was just, I got really good at, you know, putting on the mask when I was at church, and I was one person with my friends at church and someone completely different when I went to school. I took pride in being the good son. I'm the oldest of four, and 
You know, I wasn't the one usually getting in trouble. That was usually my brother who's 17 months younger than I am. And I kind of prided myself on being the good son. And I, I became so self-righteous. And you know what it says in scripture that when God looks at our righteousness, he says, filthy rags. The best of our good works to God is as filthy rags. It's not what being a Christian is all about. If rules is your foundation for following Jesus, you're missing the mark. You're hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. The foundation has to be love. The foundation has to be Jesus. The foundation has to be his blood. The foundation has to be grace. We are saved by grace through faith alone and not of anything that we have done in and of ourselves. That is the foundation of our faith. It has to be Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But we have added so much to following Jesus. We've confused people into thinking that it's about following a certain set of rules. I don't obey his commands to earn his love. I obey his commands because he loves me and I love him so much that I wanna do what he's asked me to do because I know he's got my best interests at heart. He's the one who made me. David Platt in his book says this, why are so many supposed Christians sitting on the sidelines of the church, maybe even involved in the machinery of the church, but not wholeheartedly, passionately, sacrificially and joyfully giving their lives to follow Jesus? Could it be because so many people in the church have settled for superficial religion rather than supernatural regeneration? Let that sink in. Frauds. People playing a role, but not walking in obedience. Have you settled for superficial religion rather than authentic supernatural regeneration that happens when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart and from a place of love and gratitude for everything that God has done for you, you want to follow him with your whole life and make him the Lord of everything. The third crowd that followed Jesus were the fans. The fans, how many Bills fans do we have out there? Come on, make some noise. Bills fans, where are you at? I grew up in this town, so I, you know, I've been a Bills fan my whole life. And I remember when I was a kid, you know, the glory years, the early 90s, when they went to four straight Super Bowls, like I was all about it. It was Bills pandemonium. And I remember during one of their playoff runs in the early 90s, um, as a kid, I lived on Old Milestrip Road, which isn't far from uh, Milestrip and Abbott, which is just a stone's throw from the stadium. And I remember after one of their wins, you know, kind of getting in my Bills gear, making a big sign, and going out to the corner of Milestrip and Abbott as the traffic was leaving the stadium, and trying to get people to just honk their horns and just acting a fool, because I was a huge fan. I was excited they were winning. It was awesome. But then they stopped winning. And for the last 25 years, it has been miserable to be a Bills fan. And so my investment, my interest level has waned a lot because it's not that fun anymore. You know, fans are in it when the team is winning. Fans are in it as long as you're giving them a good time. But as, as soon as things start to get hard, fans kind of dwindle. They're not as committed. That's fans. See, I thought that salvation was all about the blessings, and there are blessings. But when you tell me that I might, I might lose my job for following Jesus, when you tell me it might cost me something, 
yeah, I'm out. No thanks. See, there are certain places in the world right now where for a person to decide to follow Jesus could literally mean certain death. There are certain countries in the world that when a person is privately sharing their faith with someone who has expressed an openness to hearing about Jesus, that person will literally be very clear when they present the invitation to that person. Like if you decide to follow Jesus, you need to know that your family will disown you. That there may be people who literally come after you to kill you and chop off your head. You may have to flee for your life, run from city to city. It will be inconvenient, it will be uncomfortable, it will be painful. I wonder how many fewer people we would have making decisions to follow Jesus in America if we presented the invitation that way. And listen, I'm grateful that we live in a country where we don't have to fear for our lives when we decide to follow Jesus. But in America, because we don't have that threat, because we're so comfortable, we've become complacent. We don't take seriously the call to follow him. We just kind of sit back and we lose that sense of awe and wonder. We don't have any hunger, we don't have any desperation, we don't have any expectancy for what God wants to do in and through our lives. We've become good fans, shout and cheer on Sunday, but then when it gets hard, we gotta check our hearts and say, Lord, is there anything in me that's following you for the wrong reasons? Am I only in this for the blessings and the benefits? What's in it for me? See, some of you, some of you were fans of how things used to be in the church. A lot of Christians get stuck in one era with God, one type or style or preference. And they say, oh man, those were the glory days. You remember when we used to sing those songs? Can't we go back to the way things were? Listen, I get it. I know that God did something amazing in the 80s or in the 90s, but he's saying, you know, I've got more for you. I've got more. I've got new wineskin for you. I've got new wineskin for Life Church Buffalo and for Western New York, but for us to receive the new wine, he's got to break off the old wineskins. See, when Jesus talked about this in scripture, whenever God wanted to do something fresh and new, the old ways, the old models, the old preferences had to break off in order for the new thing to flourish. And it's not people, it's attitudes. Anyone can embrace the new thing if we will allow God to strip away the old wineskin and give us a new wineskin so that we can receive the, the fresh new wine. Fans can get stuck in seasons of how things used to be and what things used to be like. But a lot of those things were really just nothing more than our preferences. How far will you follow? Will you follow when things get hard? And when the blessings of following Jesus are a little bit harder to identify? Will you follow him past just being a fan? The fourth group that this, and this is what I hope, my brothers and sisters here at Life Church Buffalo are willing to be, which is true followers. Followers. See, followers were marked by relationship with Jesus. They weren't perfect, but they were sincere. 
They were marked by their desperation. Followers were marked by their devotion and their obedience to God's word, which is based out of their love for Jesus, even when it cost them something. Followers were marked by their faithfulness. They were marked by a surrendered life. When you look at the, the people that follow Jesus, I mean, think about Peter, how many times he messed up. Mary Magdalene, Thomas, these were not perfect people. They had issues, but they were willing to follow Jesus and trust that he would change them from the inside out. And when he did, they turned the world upside down to the point where all but one of them lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. They followed him to the death to make the message of Jesus known to the ends of the earth. How far will you follow? Followers of Jesus are grown by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, in the midst of the people of God. Being connected to and actively involved in a local church family is one of the vehicles through which Jesus transforms us. Followers are marked by a commitment to community and gather around a common purpose to help other people become disciples, become followers, to help other people know and follow Jesus step by step. That's what it means to be a follower. So my question to all of you watching online at home and those of you here in the room is how far will you follow? And what would it look like for you to follow him farther than you've ever followed him before? Only you can answer that. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I pray that right now you give us eyes to see. I pray that you would strip away all of the cultural pictures that we've been presented over the years for who you are and what you look like and what it means for us to to be a follower, to be called a Christian, and help us to see clearly, maybe for the first time in our lives, who you are and who we are. Help us to see clearly even our own commitment level to follow you. Lord, for those who maybe grew up in a Christian home, in a Christian tradition, and they're very familiar with the teachings of Jesus. They're very familiar with church. And maybe they've lost that sense of expectancy when they come into your house. They've lost that sense of expectancy when your word is preached. God, I pray that you would convict and you would draw close and help people to see that it's only in a complete abandonment to you do we truly find life. Lord, pray that you'd help us to stir up our expectancy. Lord, for people who've been putting on a show, coming into church, looking, looking the part, got their Bible in their hands, they, they know the right lingo, the right words to say, but inside they're a mess behind closed doors. They're involved in different sins that nobody else knows about. Lord, for those of us who might have an element of fraudulency in our following of you, God, I pray that you would convict us 
not to condemn us, but to draw us near and to restore us to the purity of the relationship that you want us to walk in with you. That we would follow you from a place of love and gratitude, not from a place of fearing your judgment because we've not measured up to the perfect standards of the law. We never could, which is why you came. Lord, for the fans in the room who love to get excited about the blessings of following you, but are a little hesitant to take that step of obedience if it's gonna cost them popularity, if it's gonna cost them money, if it's gonna cost them comfort. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take seriously the responsibility we have as followers to do our part and making disciples of everyone. To everyone in the room today, those of you watching online, I just want you to picture yourself right now sitting at a table in your favorite coffee shop or wherever your favorite place is. And just picture Jesus sitting across from you. And imagine he's saying to you, Man, it's so good to see you again. I've missed you. I just want to have a talk about our relationship. Where, where are we at? Where's this relationship going? I've got more for you. I've got plans for you. I want to do incredible things through your life. But you've been reluctant to trust me in every area of your life. Picture him sitting across the table from you saying, will you follow me with all of your heart? Will you trust me with your finances? Will you trust me with that relationship that you're not sure is gonna help you follow me even closer, but you're afraid that if you let go of that thing, will you ever find love? Will you follow me when it costs you something? I wanna give you abundant life, but to discover it, I'm asking you to be willing to lay it all on the line. So God, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit, you would just seal this moment. I don't wanna coerce, I don't wanna manipulate. I just want you to speak and you to move and you to invite people into the relationship and journey of a lifetime, the adventure of a lifetime. Lord, make us followers. And I pray that our families, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors, our city would get turned upside down when you change us from the inside out. And we take seriously our commitment to follow you. Not in our own strength, Jesus. It takes God to follow God. We love you because you first loved us. So Lord, I pray for grace. I pray for 
a rediscovery of the joy of Jesus, that your joy would be our strength, God, that we would grow in our understanding of the magnitude of your love for us. And it would produce in us a desire to pay any price, any cost, to, to remain in your love. Jesus said, if I remain in you and you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, some of us started out with great intentions, but we didn't remain in you. We got discouraged, we got disillusioned, we got beat up. We didn't realize how hard it would be. But Lord, you're calling us back to a place of relationship. Help us to remain in your love so that we can produce fruit that pleases you. Produce fruit that gives an evidence of your work in our lives to the people who know us. Transform us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I know it was a hard-hitting message, church, but it was one that we need to hear. We desperately need to hear. And I pray that you just feel encouraged this morning to rediscover what it really means and what it looks like to follow Jesus, to not be a fraud, to not be a fan, to not be familiar, but to truly be a follower of Jesus. Before I dismiss you, I wanna ask the volunteers to go ahead and get to their post so that they can be in position to receive you when the rest of you leave. And while they're getting into position, if I could just encourage the rest of you guys once again to be thinking and praying about who you're gonna bring with you to the Easter experiences in just a couple of weeks. It's the time of the year when so many people, just like Christmas, who may not normally attend church, are more willing to go to church if someone simply asks them. Studies and research has been done to show that 80% of people would say yes to an invitation to church if they were asked by a family member or friend at Christmas or Easter, 80%. So your likelihood of getting a positive response to an invitation to church is never better than at this time of the year. And so we're gonna be believing and trusting God that many will come to faith and become followers of Jesus at Easter. And we're counting on you to uh, bring your friends and your family members with you. You guys, we got one more week. Uh, I'm excited to share with you what I believe God has kind of laid on my heart to conclude this series next weekend as we really kind of get a little bit more granular and more practical with what it looks like if we're gonna be followers of Jesus. But I hope you have an awesome week praying for you guys. I love you. God bless. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.